I'm Elaine Elrod. This is episode 17 of Dramatic Impact, Acting in Theater in Alberta. Episode 16 was an audio documentary about the play The Invisible Project, and as promised, this new episode consists of an edited stereo recording of the play. If you want more background on the play, I recommend listening to episode 16. I recorded the play when it was performed at the Calgary Drop-In Center, a homeless shelter in Calgary that can house up to 1,250 men and women per night and that serves up to 3,500 meals per day. I've included the sounds of the gathering of the shelter clients and staff who were part of the audience and the introduction of the play given by director and facilitator David Van Bell. At the end, I've included the sounds of the audience dispersing after the play. My hope is that the stereo recording together with these sounds will give you the feeling of what it was like to be there at this event where the company for the Invisible Project reflected back what they had learned about the homeless community to some of its members. I've shortened the audio for the movement pieces that are part of the play since you can't fully appreciate those just by listening to them. Future episodes will include interviews I recorded with director and facilitator David Van Bell, actor Richard Lee C., and shelter client and volunteer Linda Coleman. I hope you enjoy The Invisible Project. Also, stay tuned. In the near future, we'll be releasing our first video episodes. So, when we did show, at the beginning of the show, we talked a little bit about being in the City Hall atrium because it, it, it's sort of important us being in that City Hall atrium in terms of geography because we kind of feel like that building is the kind of thing that blocks off the East Village from the rest of the, uh, of the town. We talked a little bit about that. So, they're going to be referring to 8th Avenue uh, because in the actual atrium, if you would look down this way, you see one half of 8th Avenue. You look down this way, you see the other half. So mostly what we want to say is thank you so much for allowing us to be here because we really felt uh, really welcome here and learned a ton of stuff. Only a little bit of this is in the show uh, because there's just so much that we learned we couldn't possibly cram it all in because we learned all kinds of other things like the fact that you can order a pizza in the drop-in center. We didn't know that. We hear it over the, the announcements. Oh, I Chinese food. Chinese food? Okay. <laughs> we found out what erasers on rice is. Uh, Reg taught us about erasers on rice. We learned that the, the sign downstairs it says no sleeping on the first floor. Uh, that's just a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> All of that stuff we could put into the show. But we hope you'll recognize some stuff from what we did. Uh, we built some sort of set of interviews that we had done with people from the, uh, the drop-in center and also from the mustard seed. Thank you for coming. The show is about 45, 50 minutes. And yeah, you're welcome to come tonight, 5.30 at the, the City Hall Atrium, or uh, next week, Wednesday, at 7.30. So this is the Invisible Project, and we hope you enjoy it.
So if this was City Hall, then this would be 8th Avenue. And it stretches this way for two kilometers, which is about five minutes from one end to the other by car. Corporate headquarters, uh, the art center, shopping district, banks. It's the hub of the city's wealth and power. Again, if this were City Hall, <laughs> that's also a <laughs> And it stretches that way for four kilometers, about five minutes one end to the other on foot. These hills. 2,000 people live there, about half of whom are homeless. You were here 30 years ago. Not even sitting in the middle of Eighth Avenue. But between 1980 and 1985, they built this place, the municipal building, cutting through Eighth Avenue, separating this part from that part. Whether it was designed to be that way or just is that way, we have no conclusive evidence. Because of this building, this part of Eighth Avenue can't see this part. And this part of Eighth Avenue can't see this part. This show happens in Borderland. You're here today, reporter Gloves. So, hello. Hello. Hi there. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. This is the Invisible Project. It's part of the 2009 High Performance Rodeo. This is the Invisible Project. It's part of the City of Calgary's This is My City Initiative, which is a year-long series of interactions between the homeless <coughs> community and the arts. This is the Invisible Project. It's a show about a community. We went into this community as theater artists. And since we believe that theater is the physical study of lives and living, we try to think of ourselves less as artists and more as scientists, as gatherers, compilers, and presenters of information. Speak the words, convey the data, step aside. To try to make some things that are invisible a little bit more visible. Because sometimes it feels like people in our city don't like to the homeless. But people do like to look at actors. <laughs> and most of the time. <laughs> True. Sometimes governments don't like to look at actors. Uh, especially when we're asking for money. Sometimes they throw a small change at us and yell, Get a job! <laughs> oh, okay. But this is our job. We're professional communicators. We study how to communicate and we use those skills to tell an audience about how other people live. We have bad news for you. We're not gonna get this right. We're gonna make a mess of this. Yup. We have 45 minutes to tell you about the homeless community in Calgary. And 45 minutes is not nearly enough time to tell you everything there is to know. We worked for 30 days to make the Invisible Projects. And that's not even enough time to learn everything there is to know. Not nearly. So we're not gonna get this right. But we believe it's better to start than not to try. And maybe the rest of the story is something we'll have to keep discovering together as a city. And so, so, and so, we're here as theatrical scientists. This is a scientific report. These are the things we saw and heard. Patterns, relationships, sounds, music, and mostly people. And this is what you people said. <laughs> we're here to make some things visible that are in, is invisible.
This is the mask I made. Right now I'm just calling it frustration because it has been the source of so much frustration for me right now. Um, I'm just trying to get this done and it's not happening. <laughs> I keep having to go over the same four spots with like layer after layer of paper towel and it's just been so frustrating. It's gonna be, like the payoff's gonna be so great once I'm finally done. Like hopefully that actually happens, you know, finally get it done, but we'll see. Uh, there's two horns and one of them's broken. Experience. You got in a fight and you lost. And now he knows better than fight, be an idiot. Uh, this time around, I've been here at the shelter for two days. Yeah, I was here for a month, about well, four months ago before. In between, I was in Vancouver, doing the street thing out there. That was, uh, that was pretty intense. I'd gone on the street for like four months. That was brutal. Uh, my friend was like, hey man, do you want to go to Vancouver and have our time making friends? So I was like, sure, let's go to Vancouver. We took the bus out there. When we got off the bus, it was raining. We didn't have any place to stay. We went there without a plan, without any clue what was going on, how we were going to survive. We kind of just like winged it. it turned out all right for a little while. I came back to Calgary because it's depressing. Well, not Calgary, Vancouver. Oh my goodness gracious. The East End, holy smokes, man. It's just so, it's the birds. Yeah, pigeons. They're all on one foot because they get these massive infections from the dirt on the street and the razor wire on the fences. Not all of them, but there's quite a number of them hopping around on one foot and the other foot's either badly infected or just plain missing. I couldn't handle it anymore. Like, it was too intense. So after four months, I was done. I pretty much came back to the shelter and saw what worked out. Is there anything I would say to the city? No, um, this city is so freaking sterile. Why doesn't anybody have some fun once in a while? Oh my god. It's not disgusting like Vancouver is, but it's the total polar opposite, right? It's so sterile. Like, there's no, like, like the green spaces are like these really out of the way areas, right? And it's just like, everything is like so sterile and like so clean and just like, which isn't the worst thing on the planet, but people have some fucking fun once in a while, you know? That's what I tell them. What's fun? I don't know, go and trash something. Like seriously, man, I don't know. Why not, man? This city, is, everything is just like proper. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's like the polar opposite of Vancouver. Everybody just like trashed everything all the time. Like in this city, nobody ever does anything like ever. What do I want to do with my life? I don't know. I'm so freaking lost right now, I don't know my head from my ass. Mostly this place is just a place to crash. I love to make tons of these, man. These are awesome. Workshops were run by mask maker Douglas Wicks. Back in 2004, Doug lived on the streets in Toronto. He works here in Calgary now. Adequately housed. Oh, those rent just went up. 
doing mass projects for theaters, television shows, and movies. Doug designed the black multi-purpose mask we're using today. It's available at very reasonable range. The product of Doug's workshops, were we in the actual venue, is all around you. <laughs> were we in the actual venue, there would actually be more of those products just around the corner in the municipal atrium. During these workshops, we got to know some of the participants and we interviewed them about the mask thing. We, we spent the month of December here at the Joplin Center while creating the show and used some of those interviews as a starting off. And during this month, we served lunch, we worked in the uh, clothing distribution center, we stopped people we met, clients, staff, and we rehearsed the show downstairs in the third floor when the store went away. Every morning, we moved 18 beds out of the way and rehearsed. And every night, we moved 18 beds back and women slept in the bed. We were entrusted with day evening passes, which opened almost 20 doors in the drop-in center, which, as you know, is a building full of locks. So that was a pretty big deal for us. That was a lot of trust. And it was a pretty amazing experience for us to be here, just to get to know everyone, not everyone, but some people at the PDI. Uh, so we're trying not to betray that trust, and we're doing everything that we can to honor that trust. Did I mention we're not going to get this right? Yeah, I spent a couple days on the streets, you know, uh, 
Believe it or not, I slept at the end of uh, 68th Street here in Calgary, 68th and Memorial. There was a church right behind the building, and uh, right, right at the end of the street, there's a church there. Behind that is where they keep the garbage bins, and uh, it's all closed with wood. And behind that, two nights. Yeah, I got rained on both nights. Wasn't liking that too much. You know, made it pretty hard to uh, stay clean and sober, so to speak. You know, like, uh, I mean, when you're going through it, and uh, you got no place to stay, nothing really to eat, and uh, uh, on top of it, you're curled up in a soaking wet blanket trying to stay dry. It's uh, made it pretty hard to stay on the straight and narrow, so. Well, uh, a friend of mine, I went down to see him, he's like, come on, let's go. You, you want to go and get hot? So I'm here. You know, you know what, things are pretty good for me here. It's, uh, it's a comfortable environment, believe it or not. Yeah, you get the odd wing nut who's having a bad day or whatever, throwing his temper around, but it's, uh, you know, it's not bad. Uh, it's the first time ever I've been in a shelter. Up until uh, about five years ago, I was a homeowner. Went through a bad divorce. Nasty divorce, you know, just gave everything to the wife. That was that. The only thing I took with me was my son. Well, this is my last day here. Well, I'm hoping, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I might come back for tomorrow night just for the simple fact that I don't want to keep my bag with me all day tomorrow. And, uh, you know, you know, it'll give me that one day of actually uh, having a bit of money in my pocket again to kind of get the feeling. So, you know, even though I can't go anywhere, it's kind of, ha-ha, I got money, but I'm not spending it. Well, tomorrow I got to go to, uh, go get my paycheck to get me up to Fort McMurray. Yeah. When I get up there, actually, I'm going to go to uh, Walmart. I'm going to grab a big chunk of Bristol board. I'm going to write on the Bristol board all the pieces of equipment I can operate. I'm going to go stand in the Tim Hortons lineup. Well, well, I figure all the construction guys are going in, you know, they're going grabbing like 20 coffees at a time, so they're short one guy that day. But when it'll work for me. So, like I said, I, uh, maybe back here for tomorrow just, you know, to get that extra little uh, over the hump kind of thing, because, uh, you know, I'm still not quite comfortable with my sobriety yet. I'm uh, afraid to, to, to wander too far away from the nest, so to speak. You know, like it's. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't even know why I get high. I uh, don't like myself when I'm high. It's just, okay, it's an addiction. It's, you know, it's just... Okay, um, well, this one here is a, it's a cover-up one. I, I got my name homemade tattooed underneath there with the needle. It's, uh, yeah, I was on an iBiz just turned 16. I'm like, yeah, give me my name, tough guy. So that was the only one they had in the tattoo shop that was uh, big enough, dark enough to cover it up. That's how ugly it was. It's a Grim Reaper. That's what that's supposed to be, yep. Well, on this one here, I uh, walked by the tattoo shop in Surrey. I seen it up on the guy's wall. It looks just like my cousin's boyfriend, George. Yeah. I mean, other than the fact it's supposed to be a skeleton, it looks like spitting image. Like, like the beard, the bandana, everything. It's like, yeah, I gotta have that. And, uh, well, the name of my son, that I raised from, uh, from, from two years old by myself there, Jesse James. Oh, and big across my back here, I got to, I got Mazatlan 06, fucking A. Well, I spent three months there, eh? It was the first time I was actually doing something for me. Well, other than the drugs, but. So I did three months, and uh, boy, what a blast. I mean, I can't wait to do it again. You know, it's, uh, I won't do three months again just because of how much money I spent. Like, uh, I spent the better part of uh, 40 grand in three months, but uh, I'm telling you, everything I ever wanted to do, I did it all in one vacation. Like, it was great. It, uh, 
you know, just hanging around the pool and watching the girls running around in their bathing suits for the first couple weeks. And, uh, oh, yeah, I had my buddy, uh, Manuel, I believe his name was, a little waiter. Glass never hit it empty. Oh, yeah, I had a great little time. Uh, and there was none of the other drugs around to me, so that was good. You know, the, the only drug use was the alcohol, and, you know, when there's none of the other stuff around, alcohol's not a problem for me. You can actually just, you know, drink and have a good time. Did I know anyone who was homeless before I got to the shelter? Well, yeah, actually, I, uh, before I became homeless, uh, I was putting people up in my place. Well, there's a lot of homeless involved in cracking. I mean, it sucks the money right out of you. Tends to be all you do all day is, you know, chase money to get more crack. Everything else goes to buy. You know, uh, your, your groceries, you don't put groceries in the fridge. Your, your, your rent, stuff in your rent. So it's like any other drug, I suppose, but... Oh yeah, I knew. Put up quite a few people, but... When it became my turn for being homeless, couldn't find no one to help me out. Yeah, that's where this place come in. I had to tell Kyler Ange what it's like being homeless. Uh, honestly, I probably avoid the whole conversation because uh, I don't like Calgary. It's, uh, I, I mean, other than this place right here being here for me when I really need it, I got no use for it. I, it's been nothing but bad news for me. Uh, like the people with the drugs are aggressive, man. They come right to you. you. You look in, you want, you need. I, it's called food. They call it food out here. Need food, need food, need food. Uh, I mean, maybe it's me because I'm, uh, I'm a little skinnier and I got the features and the way we. What do you call it? Say? But you can always tell the, the, the drug users because they're missing teeth. Your, your gums shrink so much from it or something. Like my top ones were gone before I even started using drugs, so that's not why my top ones are gone. But, uh, just got them back the other day. Must have looked like a real prize. <laughs> oh, my first two weeks here, I put my bag down. Someone stole my bag, had my false teeth in it. Went, uh, went almost eight months with no teeth. I'm not kidding. Just got him. Uh, just got him on Wednesday. Just got him back. Sure lifts your spirits. You, you feel like a whole new person. You, you know, you can actually smile, and there's something there to see. <laughs> I get you not. So uh, off the Fort Mac for me. You know, that's not the brightest place for me either. But uh, you know, you know, with all the drugs running around that city because of the money, it's. Uh, uh, that's why I'm hoping for a camp job, you know? Get me in the middle of bloody nowhere, paycheck stacked up till it's time to go. I'm gonna go back home and see my son. Maybe take him on a vacation, you know? Put my action going to uh, Dominican. Or nothing but good stories, you know? So. Well, you freaking hot. Work. I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba. 
Yeah, I came here for work. And as for being homeless, I don't know. I just got into the situation and it's kind of hard to get out of the situation. And I'm on disability, so you know it's difficult. Yeah, I've been in women's shelters. Oh, it's no comparison to the drop-in. <laughs> well, because those are women and it's nice to be around women, you know? Like a lot of us have been abused, we've been through the ring around before, like marriage, divorce, stuff like that. So, so we all kind of relate to one another. Yeah, I was in an abusive relationship. I kicked him out of Winnipeg. And we just couldn't get along. You know, the drinking, the drugs, we just couldn't get along. It's, uh, you know what's right? It's hard to get out of this place. It's a money situation for us to get out. And, yeah, it's hard being around people who are dealing with drugs around here. It's, you know, when I see them, it's scary because I used to be there, and now I'm not there, and it's a different situation. I did cocaine, street drugs, street pills, like Tylenol, Valium, stuff like that, yeah. I quit because it cost a fortune, and I was tired of working, and being a street person, and you know, working hard for my money just to buy it, and, and then support my boyfriend on top of it, and I just said, that's it. Yeah, I was, uh, I was out one night, minus 30, I remember that in Winnipeg, and I was standing on the corner waiting to get picked up by a customer, and I just said, that's it. So I stood there for a while and went over to the street church, started talking to them and warmed up, and that was it, I think. I made my transition right there. Then I just went home. And I said, this is what I really want to do. I really want to quit. You know, being a prostitute, and I just want to have a normal life. And I did it. Yeah, I got off the drugs. It took me a week. I got off it. I was sick, but after that, I felt okay. I mean, you know, I did it. Like, a lot of people here could do it if they really want to do it, but you know, it's got to be in their mind. And Winnipeg died for work. That's why I was prostituting, because there was nothing else left to do. It was the only thing left to do, and you have to do something to survive as a woman. Now, I know selling your body isn't the best thing, but money's money. At that time, I looked at it that way. I have no regrets. I had fun doing it. I met some nice people, a lot of nice men. Most of them were married, but they were very nice. They treated me really good, so that's what counts. I had a couple of bad ones. No one would literally chase me. Now, I was out one night, and just the way he started talking, he started getting abusive, and because I was abused before, I thought, no, this is the kind of person who's going to be with you. Stopped the railway track, and I jumped out. And I thought he was going to go, but no, he got out of the stretch and started looking for me. And it was dark, and, and there's all these bushes, and I was hiding underneath them, and you know, it was really, really terrifying. And I thought he was going to kill me. Nobody didn't. He couldn't find me. So I waited until I got back from his truck. He disappeared. Then I came out of the bushes and I managed to walk to the bar. I went in there. And I sat there. And then I got a cab and I went home. So yeah, I was close. It was a close call. So now I'm here and I want to help other women. I just hope a lot of them will take my advice because... You know, it's hard. I know it's hard for them. Because once you get into a situation being a prostitute, it's hard to get out of. And, you know, maybe some of them have AIDS now, and even they have C's, so they don't care anymore about themselves. 
You know what? That's not the way to look at things. You gotta think. You brought this on yourself. You know, there's no one gonna get you out of the situation. You gotta do it yourself. Like no matter how many supports we have out there, we gotta put it in our minds to do it for ourselves. Because there's no one out there that can help you. But now I'm lucky to be alive. I'm here. I'm drug free. I still have a problem with alcohol once in a while, but it's not as bad as the drugs. And you know, I come so close. Like, if you want to do something, you want to do something. No. So I say no. You know, you have to walk away from them because I just can't let myself go back in that situation again. Like, like, like I've come so far. Even being homeless is not so bad. It's just getting back on my feet and deciding what I want to do with myself is what I want to do. Now, when I hear these people complaining, like the men. I say, hey, you know what? It could be a lot worse. We could be out there. You know, at least we have this home. If I have something to say to Calvary, keep up the good work. And uh, don't let homelessness be a part of that. Like, like forge ahead and help the people get a home. You know, that they can afford according to our income. That's what I'd like to see Calvary do. You know, they want to shut this place down eventually. They want to make this city not homeless, which I hope it happens, but I doubt it because where, where are the mental people going to go? You know, the ones coming out of the institutions, where are they going to go? Who's going to take care of them? And what about the seniors? So, I doubt it'll happen. Oh, sisters, let's go down. people in the city of Calgary, according to the last official count. That's a number that's 19% higher than the number counted in 2006, which was 32% higher than the number counted in 2004, which was 50% higher than the number counted in 2002, which was 34% higher than the number counted in 2000, etc., 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 etc. Actually, the number of homeless in Calgary has jumped by 913% since 1992. These are people who, according to the definition, do not have a permanent residence to which they can return whenever they so choose. There are others too, though. The really ones. The ones who don't show up on statistics. The ones that sleep on couches. The ones that crash with relatives, keeping their heads down. Getting on people's nerves. Hoping for better. We didn't even meet those. We only met people who chose to make themselves visible to us. So, there's lots of data missing here. A lot of things that stay invisible, especially because when you're homeless, Sometimes it's a good idea to be invisible. Invisibility is a survival strategy. And while we'd like to say something true and clear about homelessness, it's hard to see what's true and clear about it. We can't even get an honest count of how many people actually are homeless. Never mind what causes homelessness, or for that matter, what we should do about it. It's not all that scientific, actually. And we could say it's because of mental illness. And we could say it's because of addiction. And we could say it's because of laziness. And we could say it's because some people just refuse to be housed when it's 30 below and the shelters are packed. Or we could say it's because the Creighton government eliminated the federal housing program in 1993. Saying homelessness is the responsibility of the province. <laughs> the province says, 
It's a responsibility for the city. And the city says, man, that's a lot of responsibility. I don't know if I can handle all of that. But the truth of the matter is that on May 14, 2008, the day of the biannual homeless count in Calgary, 4,080 citizens of our city did have a home to go to, not even with friends or family. And that number grows quite a bit bigger every year. 4,080 stories. And growing. Let's say this is all I have in my backpack. 
I will still give um, person who I'm with, I will still give him that chunk of potato on my plate. No, we have nothing. We still will give. We still will risk. Does that make sense? Now, when I, when I walk towards the drop-in center, there's you know, that hill where everybody hangs up. They're all lost souls, waiting for something to happen. When I walk into the place, somebody's being intoxicated, I don't know their story. But it's like there's a part where we're all scared. And we all have these masks. And we all walk around all day long. And I have my mask to keep myself secure, to keep myself a good friend. But it has to come down. You know, and I've learned to say, no, this is who I am. I'm proud to be who I am. And I suck like everybody else. But, but I'm trying to. So this has been really self-healing for, for me. This sounds like a mouthful, but for me it's, it's been a real challenge just to be in such a shelter. My parents don't even know I'm here. I haven't talked to them in six months, and I'm sure they're worried to death, but I won't. It's just something that I... Don't want to have to justify them. Just say, look, you know, I had to deal with this stuff. So when I say this place, no, this place isn't a bad place. It's who I choose to hang around with. Uh, I, I remember one of the staff said to me, when you walk out that door, walk. You know? You don't want to come back here. You, you don't want to tell people where you are because you don't want to attract that crowd and sabotage yourself again. <laughs> 